So we're going to read the scripture from Mark chapter 6. And this is in the ESV. It says that Jesus called the 12 and be, oh, sorry. Start with verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. And healed them. Father, as we thank you today for your word that we have in this book, the Bible, we thank you that we all have a part in responding to what you say is good and right and true. That we have a part in responding to who you are, who you say you are, what your life demonstrated that you were the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the One sent from God, fully God, fully man, who came and lived this sinless life so that we might be restored as you took our sin on you on the cross, as you bore in our place the penalty for sin and then came to give and grant forgiveness for all who would receive and believe you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you for this testimony that Mark wrote, that John Mark wrote, for us to have even this many, many years later to understand that we too are challenged to walk in a manner that brings glory and honor to you, responding to you and who you are in faith, that our faith matters. Help us to see that clearly today in Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea is that Jesus expects and empowers faith. It's important that we realize it's a both and. He expects it from his creatures, those he made. 
in creation, all of us. But he also empowers faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, it says that he, Jesus, is the author and the finisher, the completer, the sustainer of our faith. So he authors faith. He begins it. He's the originator. He's the one who allows us to have the incentive to put our faith in him by looking at his life, by understanding the historicity of this person, Jesus Christ, and his compelling life that has changed lives all over the world. And we see, again, just the beauty of who he is, that he expects and empowers faith. And the reason that we follow Jesus isn't to improve our life. That's a false gospel message that people say, come to Jesus and he's going to fix everything. The reality is he fixes the main thing, which is the problem of sin, that we go our own way and he breaks the power of sin and he delivers us from the penalty of sin. And because of that, we're now free to walk with him, to walk in the power of the Spirit. But the reason we follow him isn't to improve our lives, but to align our lives with his will so that we can be conduits of his life, his truth, and his kingdom on the earth. Impact the world around you as emissaries of faith. So this message from Mark was written down, but these are the words of Peter. Historians show us that all the way back to 120 AD, very shortly after Jesus walked the earth and died on the cross, we have some of the church fathers giving witness to the fact that John Mark was really a scribe for Peter, that he communicated, though he wasn't an eyewitness himself, he was communicating on behalf of an eyewitness that is established that Peter's words and his eyewitness account here through Mark are really powerful. And so uh, to this day, his ministry, Jesus's ministry and mission is ongoing now through our lives. John 10, Jesus says, the works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. Jesus was very bold in his ministry and in his message. He called people to repent and believe in him. He was not just a miracle worker and a prophet. He was God in the flesh, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. He had come to do what nobody else could do, that we could not fix our own problems. So he had to come to save us from our sins. So this is who Jesus is. And who he proclaimed to be. He was very bold. And in John 10, he's proclaiming that I and the Father are one. When he did, the religious leaders of the day who knew the Torah, they knew the scrolls, they knew the scripture so well, they grabbed rocks to stone him for blasphemy. They knew exactly who Jesus was proclaiming to be, that he was God in the flesh. Hebrews 2 tells us that he had to cloak himself or clothe himself in human flesh in order to pay the price for human sin. Fully God, fully man on the cross is who Jesus was. And so our faith actually matters. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about when he comes back, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith matters. Our, where we put our trust, and oftentimes we saw through COVID, people put their trust in so many things. Even today, 
People are putting their trust in the banking system that looks shaky, in our economy, in politics. There are so many places that we end up putting our trust instead of keeping it fully invested in Jesus, who promises to forgive us of our sins and call us into an eternal home with him, to be able to dwell with him forever in paradise. He wants us to be focused on what we did in worship today, on who he is and the glory that he has for us eternally. And in the meantime, what we get to do is fulfill his ministry and his mission just like he did while on the earth for the glory of God and for the good of others. So our faith matters when Jesus returns. He says, will he find faith on the earth? So please hear this. We can be people who see and know Jesus. We know who he is. And we can be people who serve him and go. And go here or go to the nations. Or we can be people that actually hinder the fullness of what he wants to do. We're going to see that in this text, that we can respond to him in a way that we go and see the power of the kingdom move forward in the amazing world around us. Or we can actually be a a hindrance to all that God wants to do in our community. So the question is, do we see in our own lives, in our own demonstration, our own walk, that when Jesus comes back to find faith on the earth, will he find it in me? Will he find a a person who is trusting him, not trusting in anything else, not fearing man, but fearing God, not putting my trust in these other structures that are important for us to steward, but trust in him, who knows me fully. Verse one, he went away from there and he came to his hometown. His disciples followed him and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. So Jesus is coming back home again. There is a picture of Jesus here in his hometown, Nazareth, in Luke four. What's amazing about what happened in Luke four, previous to this, there are some theologians that believe these are the same story. I, I looked it up, and I believe that there are two separate incidents, but regardless, there's a powerful picture of what Jesus did in the synagogue in Nazareth. In Luke 4, he opens the scroll, the reading, and he reads out of Isaiah 61. And he talks about the power of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, out of Isaiah 61, and his mission, which was to bring freedom to people, to heal them, to preach the gospel to the poor. Think about this. Jesus and his mission and his ministry was preaching and teaching and healing and delivering from demons. This is what he did. This was normal Christianity. And as he did this and demonstrated this power, the power of God through his life, people flocked around him. People came to him from all over, and they recognized who he was. But when he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst, they literally took Jesus outside with the purpose and intent of killing him. 
there was something in his own hometown that, once again, Jesus is proclaiming very clearly who he was, and yet the people, instead of receiving and listening and analyzing, even if they doubted, they were willing to process all of the evidence, but they weren't. They were unwilling to process all the evidence. And what you see here is a people who hardened their hearts against the word of God. And we want to be a people who have tender hearts when we hear God's word because we can be guilty of the very same things. We can be people who hear what he says, know what he says, and not do it. Jesus likens those people to fools who build their house on sand, that when the storms of life come, their life is collapsed. So Mark gives us some stories as he runs through this gospel account of Jesus' life that lead us up to chapter 6 that we're reading today. And in the preceding stories, he lets us know that Jesus has already displayed his lordship over nature, over demons, and even death. This is remarkable, and everybody is marveling. And as he's talking, they're marveling at the authority with which he talks. And they're saying, he's so different than anybody else we've listened to. He speaks with authority. And so, in Mark 1, 21 through 28, the people were amazed at his teaching. And then get this. Somebody with a demon in the synagogue shouts out suddenly. And everybody's aware that this is a a person that has some kind of demonic influence. And the, the demon shouts out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So even the demons are testifying to who Jesus is in the synagogue, in the place of worship. And what's amazing about this, and I think this is important, because some of us really don't like preaching. You know, I don't want anybody preaching to me. But just know this. Preaching in the authority of God interferes with demonic activity. And they don't like it. So you want to get on the right side of that argument. (laughs) You want to get on the right side of, teach me, Lord, preach, preach, bring it. Because there is a resistance to the teaching and preaching of God's word. We just don't want to be in that camp. We want to be in the people that receive and believe God, what do you say is true? Help me know how you want me to live my life. Help me know how you want me to think, how you want me to believe, how you want me to live. What you want, what you think, God, is what matters. So here, among his own people, his own people that watched him grow up, he encounters their refusal to believe. So look at this in the first part of verse 2. And many who heard were astonished. Very similar to what happened in Mark chapter 1. Amazement, astonishment. Look at the authority here. And many who heard him were astonished. And they recognized the obvious evidence. That's what what that word means. They, They saw, wow, because they had already heard about Jesus. They already knew what he had done. They already heard the testimonies. Whether they had seen him themselves, they heard the testimonies of what Jesus does, and then they had the second thought. 
than they had. But wait, ooh, criticism, skepticism. And, and this is what I think. I think in our lives where criticism and skepticism comes in is oftentimes those places where we're anxious and where we lack faith where we want God to show up or we wanted him sometime in the past to have shown up and he didn't in the way that we expected. He didn't do what we thought he should do in the time that we thought he should do it, so we become skeptical and doubting. And we want to put our trust in something, but we're looking for he's not being reliable, but actually he is reliable. He just works in ways that we oftentimes don't expect. My wife and I went through some really hard things early on in our marriage. And with her health and a sudden loss of a baby that was six months in the womb. And after we buried him, we found that she had a blood clot in the main vein exiting her brain. And walking through that process was so difficult and so like, it felt like my faith was just, it, it just stirred up in a way that I had never experienced before. And that was just one time. Ten years later, it happens again. Five years after that, it happens again. She's, she had a stroke. She's had brain surgery. She's had all these things happen. And she, she just ran the lake. I mean, at White Rock Lake. It's nine miles. I mean, she is like a, an amazing person filled with God's spirit and his energy in his life, but that isn't everybody's testimony. When we were in the hospital at one point, years in, well, we've been married almost 32 years, or 32 years, almost 33, um, one of my friends had had a stroke in, um, and his, just the way he was able to talk and walk was very impaired. And when he he was working at Baylor. When he heard the doctors and saw the image of her brain that looked like his, and he saw that she had walked in there, he was dumbfounded. Like, how, how did this happen? And so we, the stories don't always go like that, but it's important for us to trust him regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the outcome, regardless of our expectations, that God wants us to trust him and actually expects us to trust him. And then he'll empower us to trust him. When we just take that humble posture of, Lord, I just am open to you. Will you show me your way? Jesus, teaching with authority, these folks still, though they marveled, instead of seeing all God is doing and rejoicing and believing and yielding to him, they leaned on their own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That word acknowledge comes from the Hebrew word yada, which means know him. Know him intimately like Adam knew Eve and bore a child. Know God closely and intimately. And as we do, as we pursue him and know him, we won't be thrown off course. Or if we are, we'll be able by the grace of God to get back up on course. So see here, um, one of the commentators that I appreciate his views, I I don't know where you are with this, but his name's William Barclay. And he says this, in an atmosphere of expectancy, the poorest effort 
can catch fire. This is powerful. So where we're expectant, are you expectant for God to do something in your heart today? Are you expectant for God to actually meet you when you get in your car, you walk home, or however you came? Are you expectant when you get to your place where you dwell? Are you expectant for him to work in your heart and your life to speak to you as one of his sheep who hears his voice and follows him? Are you expectant? Because in that place, even the poorest effort can catch fire. But in an atmosphere, he says, of critical coldness or bland indifference, this is what the Proverbs say, the complacency of fools will destroy them. In critical coldness or bland indifference, the most spirit-packed utterance can fall lifeless to the earth. So here Jesus is speaking the word. We don't even know exactly what all he was saying. We know at one point he declared, Isaiah 61, and said, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm your guy. I came to preach good news to you, to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free. I'm the Messiah, the Savior. You can't find anyone else who can help you, Jesus is saying, like I can help you. And yet it fell lifeless to the earth. We too can be unmoved, critical, or unbelieving of Jesus. Can he tell you his truth and you obey? Are you willing to hear who he says he is, believe who he says he is, and what he says he will do? Are you willing to trust him and step out in faith? The key to that is humble recognition of our utter need. And this is what I would say, Lord, is there anything in me causing me to move away from you? I'm going to give you a quick story. I realize we're only on verse two. I'm sorry. I was in a place that's much like paradise. And it's a place where Angela and I like to go on our anniversary. It's in California, Southern California. And so we were celebrating 32 years. And this was just this last year. So we've had so many hard things, and then we've had so many good things, and they are oftentimes interspersed. There, there's good, and then there's hard, and then there's great, and then there's, uh, and, and so this is kind of the journey with Jesus. Well, in this place, this paradise, I had high expectations that, that some of my favorite food is there. We love to go to the ocean, you know, all this stuff, and I was in a place walking on the beach, and I told Angela, you know, I feel like I used to just have this overflowing love for people, like that just came out, and you squeeze me, and love for people would just come out, every, everybody across spectrums. Even people that had been mean to me, I, I felt like I could love them, and not easily, not always easily. Sometimes it was like that hard work of the heart work that, you know, oh, Lord, help me love them, help me love them, help me love them, right? Fast and pray and whatever, but I just had an overwhelming love for people. But I said to Angela, I feel like I just don't have that right now. And um, fast forward one day, that's all it took. Next time, next day, my time with the Lord, I open up this book that has three of A.W. Tozer's books in one uh, volume. And I have all these bookmarks in it. Um, you know, just because I like pick it up and read it. And I opened to this one part 
that says, do you want to know why you have cold love? I was like, what? Is this even for real? And he, more or less, whoopsie, he more or less says, um, I was going to try to find it here. Let me see if I can find it. Because I, I, yeah, sorry, I'm going to go forward and then backwards. Because his words are so better than mine. Just ignore that for a minute. He said, you want to know what causes cold love? Self-seeking is the culprit. And here's his quote. The fallen nature ruling unjudged, uncrucified, unrepudiated within us. He's saying the self-life that we are secretly ashamed of and therefore left unacknowledged. And I began to see like God was bringing up just this whole self-seeking. Now, going on an anniversary trip and enjoying a beautiful place is not sinful. But what he was showing me was, none of this will ever satisfy you, Brad. I have so much more for you than this. Will you trust me? And will you step closer to me? Will you let go of these things and come forward? This has been such a journey for me my whole life. And my whole life in Christ, since I came to faith after college. And the beauty of God is that he wants us to experience him in a profound and powerful way. That oftentimes we settle for so much less than what he wants. Okay, go back. Um, so this humble recognition of my utter need so that I surrender my will to him afresh and anew. Verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? By the way, this is the only time this term, son of Mary, is used. And it's an indicator that either Joseph had passed or they were, in a way, kind of dissing Jesus as illegitimate. Because in this culture, you always said the son of and named the father, not the mother. So there's some potentially dissing here. And, and so, like, wait. Hold on. He's like the, the everyday repairman. He's like the guy that can fix anything. He, he's, he, he's not a furniture builder, by the way. Um, carpenter, that term, literally means that he's like a, a person who can repair. He can do masonry. He can do anything. He's like a handyman. So he's like a, a lowly position in a lowly village, in a village that was even despised. And so here's Jesus back now in this home village, and those that are despised by others are despising him. They're thinking little of him. And this is the question I have for us today. Do we think little of Jesus? Or do we think, Jesus, he's the one worthy of my life because of what he's done, because of who he is. So they had some preconceived notions about Jesus, and they therefore said more or less, uh, we're not going to submit to your authority. You're not going to tell us what to do. Who in the world do you think you are? There's, there's some of this idea behind their comments and their refusal to believe. So they're too near 
to Jesus to see his true greatness, and they stumble thinking he's no one special. Again, I think this is something we can do in the church. We get used to hearing about Jesus. We, we have expectations that he should work this way, and we can become very complacent in not honoring what he says in his word. So my challenge for us, even in this part, instead of stumbling due to familiarity with Jesus and and lacking humility, is to come in that same humble posture, recognizing I need him, but also having an immovable pursuit. So a stumbling means like they tripped and fell. They they fell off. They, They didn't continue in their pursuit. And you see people of faith pursue him even when they stumble they get back up and they're they're tenacious they're immovable in their pursuit of god and that's my challenge i believe for me and you today that god wants us to move continually towards jesus regardless of obstacles and stumbling blocks that he alone is able to save deliver make whole how might we be a part in limiting the work of jesus it says he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Y'all, this is low bar fruit. In the church in America today, this is like, oh, you believe that? Like, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I'm like a Bible Christian? That he does this? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever? He sends his disciples out to do this? From the early church, we see through the book of Acts, The same work, healing, deliverance, preaching, teaching, and all through church history, we see the outpouring of the Spirit. We see people become hardened and turn away from God, and then we see them turn back to him in repentance and faith and revival or hearts are revived, and we see this pattern throughout history. Where are we in that pattern? Where are we individually? Where are we as a church? Where are we as God's people on mission? with him. Matthew 13, 58 echoes the sad reality that God allows our unbelief to limit his supernatural activity. Psalm 78, 22, and also verse 32. In the wilderness, they did not believe God. They did not trust in his saving power. In spite of all that they saw, They still sinned despite his wonders. They did not believe God. Psalm 78, verse 41, don't limit the Holy One of Israel. These are the words of God to us. Don't limit him. So wherever we've limited him, this is what I've done. I've asked his forgiveness, and I have multiple times asked his forgiveness. Will you forgive me for limiting you, for putting a lid on you, for in any way that I've held back anything that you wanted to do? Because you are looking for faith. And when you return, will you find faith on the earth? The greatest obstacle to faith is not God's failure to act, but our unwillingness, the human heart, to accept the unexpected ways of God. Here, Jesus marvels at unbelief. There's only two times that Jesus marvels. He marvels here at unbelief, and he marvels at the centurion a Greek officer, Roman officer, he, he marvels at his faith. That, that centurion says, hey, 
Jesus, at your word, I'm not worthy of you even coming to my house. You just speak the word and it'll happen. My servant will be healed. Do we believe? Do we believe his word? What makes Jesus marvel is unbelief. Unbelief is the determined refusal to believe. It's deeply resistant to the truth. So that's what this word means. It's not just your struggles and your doubts. He's aware of our struggles and our doubts. The person that comes and says, I believe, but help my unbelief, he's for you. But don't stay in that pattern. Don't let that be an excuse for a lack of faith in your life and a lack of willingness to take a risk. Don't let, I believe, help my unbelief be your banner. Let it be, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Give me the courage and grace to step into what you call me into and help me to trust you. Give me the courage to trust you and believe your message. Do you believe Jesus? And do you believe what Jesus believes? Do you believe him and believe what he believes? Here's the end. He expects and empowers a life of faith. He called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Here he is deputizing the first 12. We see him later do it with 70. We see later he does it with those that are gathered in the upper room. We see that those that were gathered get hands laid on them and they all are dispersed to bring the glorious kingdom to the world around them. Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we need the power of God just as desperately as the early church needed the power of God? Like, look around. We need God's outpouring, the outpouring of his spirit. And we, as his people, are the conduits. We're the vessels. We're the place of his rest. We're the place of his dwelling. We get to carry him into every sphere. That's how we impact the world around us. And so, as you and I look at our hearts, am I trying to live in comfort and find satisfaction in this world while neglecting to live with and for Jesus completely? Is his heart and mission my heart and mission? Am I living out my faith the way he called and invited me as a follower to live out my faith. Willing to touch the untouchable. Loving the unlovable. Lifting up the lowly. Expressing and extending God's kingdom on earth. I believe the Lord dropped this in my heart. Let's us be people who expect God to move in power once again. Let's be people who are stoked, not dying embers. But as we get together, let's encourage each other not to hype it up, not to try to stir it up, but to get on our face or our knees or in whatever posture of heart that we say, I need you. I see where I am. And I want you to stir my heart again that we not go through these routine kind of Christianese things anymore, that we turn from anything that's just lifeless and shallow and hollow, 
and we turn to the one who wants to fill us up and bring change here first so that we can be agents of change out there next. Can I pray for us?